Hey, and thanks for tuning in to the Father's House podcast. The Father's House exists to see people discover life in Jesus. We hope that today's message brings you fresh life and renewed hope as you listen. Enjoy. Hey, we're starting a new series, and we're going to be in this for a couple of weeks. And uh, there's a very colorful graphic that's going to appear behind me. And we are calling this series 23 and Me. 23 and Me. How many know what that is? Just to be clear. Okay. Uh, it is uh, tantamount to Ancestry.com, I think. Uh, so for the next couple of weeks, we're going to be taking blood samples. And uh, we're going to discover our genealogy. It's going to be great. We're going to find out how we all are kind of connected. No, just kidding. We're not going to do that. That's another series later on down the road. Just kidding. No, it's not. Um, now, for the next couple of weeks, we're going to be talking about a very famous portion of Scripture that I don't feel gets the honor and respect that it's due, because most of the time when you hear it, it's when it's too late. It's at a funeral, or it's at a movie, and, and you're watching it, and it's not something that we really apply to our lives on a regular basis, but I think it's one of the most, one of the most richest, one of the richest portions of Scripture in the Bible, Psalms chapter 23, and we're going to apply some of the principles of Psalms 23 to our life. I want to encourage you over the next couple of weeks. Uh, go ahead and put this in your reading plan. Read through it slow. Maybe take some notes and scribble in your Bible. Jesus is okay with that. And, uh, and I really think this scripture is going to speak to us. And I think it's probably the second most famous scripture next to John 3.16. Um, but uh, if you're like, I don't know that one. I've never heard it. You probably have. So let me read it to you uh, just so that we're all on the same page and we get it on the series together. Here's what it says. Psalms 23 verse 1. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures, and he leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even when I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will not be afraid, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare, I love this line, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies, and you anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Come on, someone give Jesus a good amen for that one. I want to, in this, uh, in this first session together in this series, I want to focus in just on verse 4. Uh, we're going to talk about Psalm 23, 4, which reads, Even when I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will not be afraid, for you are with me. Uh, I want to talk to you this morning about what I think is the greatest enemy you face in this life of faith. Uh, an enemy that will keep you paralyzed in this journey, will keep you from stepping into all that God has for you, keeping, keep you from stepping into the future he has for you, the job he has for you, the call of God on your life will keep you surrounded in your own funk, kind of just staying in this season where you're insular and thinking about all your own issues and never making progress, a little four-letter word called fear. I want to talk about fear this morning. It's a, uh, I will talk about it, David, thank you. It's my plan. I think we could all say we've had a bout with fear. We've fought fear before. Whether it's fear of the future or uh, fear about an outcome or maybe you've been one of those people and I've been in this situation before where in the middle of the night you just feel pinned to your bed and you don't know what's going on and there seems to be something in your room. Uh, that, that kind of fear. How do we deal with that? Let me remind you this morning that as people of faith, if you've called upon the name of Jesus, if you would call yourself a Christian here today, you have been called to live a life of faith. We are to live by faith and not by sight, as it says in 2 Corinthians 5, 7. We are faith 
people. That means that we do irrational things at times. We step out of the boat and we walk on water. We move to cities and plant a church in a city that seemingly doesn't want to have a church in the middle of it. We do things that don't make sense because we are people of faith. We don't live by the mandates of this world. We live by whatever Jesus tells us to do. But as people of faith, you've probably noticed that there is this this tension, this fight that you're in to step out and do what God's called you to do because of this ever-present enemy called fear. Fear will keep you from stepping into what God has for you. And fear has a voice, does it not? Fear speaks to you. Ever seen that little cartoon with the angel and the other guy on the, uh, on the shoulder? Yeah, there's, a, there's an ongoing conversation with fear. And fear always co- uh, contradicts faith. If faith says, I'm going to share my story with my family member, uh, I'm going to invite him to church, I'm going to invite my coworker to come to church with me, I'm going to tell him about Jesus, then fear says, ah, you better keep your mouth shut. You don't want to ruin the relationship. They've never been interested in Jesus. Why would they be interested now? You're better off just staying quiet. If faith says, hey, you know what? I believe what that guy up there said. I'm going to give. I'm going to trust God with my finances. I'm going to tithe, and I'm going to step into what God has for my, my financial future. Fear says... I don't even have enough to pay my bills right now. There's no way that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make this kind of a sacrifice. I'm just going to stay where I'm at. If, if faith says I'm going to serve, I'm going to go to a group, I'm going to start a group, I'm going to get baptized in water, I'm going to take the next step in my faith, then fear says I better not step out because if I do, my dirty laundry is going to be aired before all those people around me and I'd rather just keep that stuff hidden right now. So I'm just going to stay in this little place of faith that I'm accustomed to. Faith versus fear. And if we're not careful, we will let fear govern our lives. We will make decisions based on fear and not by faith. But listen to me, that is not how God has called us to live. We are called to be people of faith. And so we must understand how to overcome, how to fight this seemingly ever-present enemy called fear. Am I preaching to anybody this morning? So here's what I want to do this morning. In addition to Psalm 23, I want to look at one other scripture. And I want to to give you a homework assignment at church. I know that you're looking forward to that, right? You're like, really? Come on. I'm already in college. I'm trying to remember trigonometry. This is an easy one. If, if, you, uh, if you do anything this week, memorize this scripture. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. It says this. For God has not given me a spirit of fear, but of power, of love, and a sound mind. Come on, let's all read that together, shall we? For God has not given me a spirit of fear, but of power, of love, and a sound mind. Turn to the person next to you and tell them, God has not given me a spirit of fear, but of power, some of you believe what you're saying. Okay, good. Here's why I tell you to, to memorize that, okay? We all know what we're going to face. You know your issues, your proclivities. You know what the enemy's going to tempt you with. And the Bible is, in fact, a weapon. Scripture is a weapon. And if you know that you're going to get into a fight, then you need to have the right ammunition loaded into your heart so that in the middle of the fight, you can deploy whatever weapon you have so that you can fight against the enemy. And if we know that we're going to face fear, we need to have some stuff locked away in our heart so that we can declare it over our situation and say, no, God has not given me a spirit of fear over this thing, but power, love, and a sound mind. Memorize that this week. There'll be a test next weekend. Won't let you in the door until you know. I'm just kidding. (laughs) If you're going to take notes, uh, we're going to pray and get into this. If you're going to take notes this morning, I want to title this chat, It's Just a Shadow. It's Just a Shadow. Let me pray. Jesus, we love you today. I thank you for your presence. I thank you for your people. I thank you for what you're doing here in the Father's house. 
And God, we are so grateful. Even last week as we celebrated 300 people who've said yes to Jesus so far in this first year. And we've celebrated people getting baptized and money that we've been able to give away to organizations and missionaries. And we're just, we're just so grateful for what you've done in the last year. But as we jump in today, week one of year two, we are so expectant because we know that the best days are ahead of us and not behind us. We don't revel in yesterday's victories. We look forward to the next 52 weeks and what you're going to do here in this church. There will be even more people come to know Jesus, more money that we can give away, more lives and families that are being transformed. And today our faith is stirred for what you want to do. And Lord, over this message, over the next couple of moments, as we talk about the subject of fear, I pray for any person in this room who is dealing with crippling fear, paralyzed by fear, let today be the day that they taste freedom. Let them walk out of this place light in the spirit, filled with faith, ready to step into what you have for them. In Jesus' name, and the church said, amen, amen. How many of you have ever been the victims of theft? You've ever had anything stolen from you before? Come on, what'd they take from you? Tell me. A purse, a car, a backpack, a Christmas. What's a Christmas? They took Christmas. They stole Christmas. The Grinch stole Christmas. Christmas present. Okay, what else? What do I got? Joy. They took your joy. That's, I heard girlfriend. Uh, I don't think. <laughs> okay. She just left you. Um, just saying. I have been the victim of theft a number of times in my life. Uh, I had a wallet stolen from me in Oakland. No shocker there. Uh, I had a, a necklace stolen from me from a good friend of mine. My grandmother's here this morning, by the way. Hello, Grandma, wherever you're sitting. Um, her, uh, her husband, my grandfather, gave me a necklace, a big old silver necklace, as every good Italian man should, with a cross on it. And uh, I lost it like a week later. And conveniently, a good friend of mine showed up with the same necklace that his grandfather gave him, uh, which was really weird. Um, someone tried to steal my car from me one time. Uh, I pulled up to a dry cleaner and I left my car running while I dropped the dry cleaning off. And 20 seconds later, I walked out, literally just boop, drop it and walk back out and my car's gone. And I'm looking around, I'm like, where did my car go? And I see this guy starting to drive off in my vehicle and the windows were down. I said, hey, he stops the car and he looks at me. He's like, hey, is this your car? <laughs> I can ain't yours. And he's like, oh, it was, uh, it was rolling backwards. So I was gonna put it in a safer parking spot in the parking lot somewhere, do you want me to? I said, you can just get out now. He's like, it was the weirdest interaction I ever had with a criminal. I felt very intimidating. I'm like, yeah, that's right, okay. But the, the, the worst experience I've ever had with theft was a couple of summers ago. Uh, my wife and I, at the end of the summer, right before uh, all the kids went back into school, uh, we decided to take our family and some friends to a water slide park. And uh, she really likes water slide parks, me not so much. But uh, we pulled up to this water slide park, and it was apparently the last day of the season they were going to be open. And so the place was packed. There were cars everywhere. And uh, the parking lot didn't have any empty spots. And so we're kind of searching around, trying to find a place to park. And we noticed that there was like this dirt parking lot across the street by a canal, but there were some other cars there. And uh, hindsight, probably not the safest place to park, but we decided, okay, was, there's other cars there and we'll do it. So we left the car there. And uh, because there was a bit of a hike to get back to the entrance of the water slide park, uh, we decided to leave as much as possible inside the car and just take the necessities. So she took the key and uh, the towels and a couple stuff and for, the, for the car, and then we left her purse in the back seat of the car. Uh, we thought we'd hidden it, but apparently not so well. So we go into the water slide park, we hang out all day long, and uh, she's riding down all the water slides because she really enjoys it. I got stuck in the kiddie pool with my children, uh, which we always know is just a glorified toilet. And uh, it's great. And uh, 
it's about five o'clock. I go back across the street and I get the car. I say, you guys stay put. I'll, I'll pull around for you. And as I approach the vehicle, I notice the back window is shattered. Uh, something that many of you were probably familiar with if you live in San Francisco. And uh, I, at first I thought, okay, maybe someone like kicked up a rock and it shattered the window. But we realized rather quickly, no, no, no. Somebody saw the purse. They broke into the window and they stole her purse out of the back seat. Now, if you've ever had your wallet, your purse, all of that stuff stolen, you understand that this is a very tragic situation, and it is horrible trying to recover from it. Um, I'm calling insurance, and I'm calling every card and the bank and trying to figure out if anything's been charged to the card. Turned out like five grand had already been charged at like Lowe's and Home Depot nearby, and we're sorting through all this stuff. So for like an hour, I'm canceling cards, trying to remedy the situation, frustrated, sweaty, covered in kids' urine, and uh, I'm like, I'm done. So finally, after I get off the phone, I said, we got to go get some food. This is, this, is, this is too much. I just need to chill out. So... We drive to this restaurant, grab a meal, get back in the car, and we're driving home. About halfway home, I look over at the car seat next to me, and my wife is just weeping in the seat next to me. And I'm trying to be a good husband. I'm like, I know. It was stupid. You shouldn't have left your purse in the back seat. <laughs> Weren't thinking I get it. It's fine. It's fine. She's like, no, you idiot. I just realized what was in my purse. I was like, what was in your purse? She said, well, my wallet was in my purse with my ID. And my ID has our address on it. And attached to my, my wallet was our house key. So this thief, he had, now I say he, could have been a woman, equal opportunity for sure. But he, he has our address and the key to get into our house. He's probably there right now. And all these scenarios start going through my head. I'm like, oh my gosh. Someone's in my house, he's clearing our stuff out. He's like stealing my car and, and, you know, what? Ah! So I do what every grown man knows to do. I pick up the phone and I call my daddy. <laughs> I said, hey, dad, he lived around the corner, or my parents lived around the corner. I said, hey, dad, are you home? And he said, yeah. I said, um, you still own a gun, right? And he's like, yeah. I said, okay, here's what I need you to do. Um, someone stole Robin's purse. They have our house key, the address. They're probably at the house stealing everything we own right now. I need you to grab your gun, go over to my house, and then just do whatever Jesus tells you to do. He's like, all right. <laughs> so, so we pull up about 30 minutes later, and it's pitch black outside. At this point, it's late. And as we pull into uh, our, our, our street, like, I notice that all the lights in my house are off. His car is nowhere to be found. And I'm terrified. So I, I pull up into the driveway and I open the garage and, you know, very timidly I walk into the house. Is anybody home? You know, like. <laughs> and as, I, as I walk into the house, this light turns on. My dad is sitting on the couch with a gun on his knee waiting in the dark. I said, what are you doing? Where's your car? And he's like, oh, I parked around the corner in case the guy showed up. I'm like. You twisted man. You wanted to kill somebody, all right? Like, I love you, Dad. So I sent him home, went to bed, and as you'd expect, all night long, every noise, every shadow, woke up about 100 times wondering if someone was breaking into my house. So the next day, I'm on the phone with the insurance company and getting the rest of this stuff sorted out and still very, very stressed. And in the middle of this whole situation, the Holy Spirit spoke something to me that changed my life. And I can tell you with, with all honesty, I have, I have clung to this statement from that day forward. Here's what he said. He said, hey, 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 that, that robber, he stole your stuff. 
but you let him take your peace. I knew exactly what God meant at that moment. He stole your belongings, but you let him have something internally that he did not have the right to access. I had no control over the person in the back seat or the wallet or anything that, that took place in the car, but I had complete control over the condition of my heart, where I let my mind go in that situation, the things I chose to fear, the things that I bought into that the enemy was, was throwing my way. I had complete control over that, but I had no control over the stuff. And so in the middle of this whole situation, here's the irony. I didn't have any reason to be afraid. <laughs> like, when the insurance company replaced everything, not only did we get everything back, but we actually made $1,000 on the deal. <laughs> I'm like, you robbed me, and I still made money. Like, this is how we do it, you know? But there was a casualty. There was something I never got back. I never had the opportunity to cling to my peace in a situation where the enemy wanted me to be afraid. Now, I want to suggest to you this morning that every single person in this room has been the victim of a similar crime. Maybe your purse has not been stolen or your car hasn't been broken into to stay in San Francisco long enough. It'll happen. <laughs> but you have all encountered the one that wants to take your peace. Yeah, you fought with him before. The Bible says in John chapter 10 that you have a real enemy his name is Satan, and his job, job description is to steal, to kill, and to destroy. He wants to steal from you. And hey, newsflash, he's not after your purse, and he's not after your wallet, and he's not after your car. He wants your peace because he understands if he can steal your peace and keep you afraid, he can keep you crippled, and you'll never move into the future that God has for you. And he wants you to stay here and not go there. He's trying to steal your peace. But newsflash. He's not even a very good thief. He's not. I mean, it's, in comparison to the size and scope of your God, he's, he's pretty inept. But here's the problem. He doesn't have to be that good because most of us are easy targets. Let me say it like this. Um, let's say you had $100, which if you're a college student, this is absolutely something you have to imagine. But if you had $100... <laughs> And today you left church and you walked out there to the bus station and you left it on the 28 line right there and you just said, hey, you $100 bill, you just stay right there. You be safe. I'm going to be back in a little while for you. I'm going to go down to West Portal, grab some food. It's going to be great. So you go over to West Portal, you grab some lunch, you come back and lo and behold, <gasps> your $100 is gone. Somebody stole it from you. Does that mean that they were a good thief? No. You just left it there. No, you were an easy target. That's why it was stolen from you. And sadly, this is how so many of us operate with our peace. We leave it in the back seat of the car. We leave it on the curb for the enemy to take at his whim. Let me explain what I mean by that. I know people, yay, even in the Father's house, who are deathly afraid about the future of our nation. They are terrified about leadership right now and conversations that are taking place with China and, and all the, the, the discrepancies in Ukraine and Russia and ah, all the stuff. But rather than doing what it tells us to do in Romans 13 and praying for those that are in leadership, instead, they binge watch the news, they spoon feed themselves with fear, and then they wonder why they're afraid about the future of our nation. I know people that are deathly afraid about 
the condition of their marriage. Are we going to make it? I don't know. Things don't look good. But rather than going to counseling, rather than, than trying to work it out and going through the necessary steps to get it restored, instead, they talk to their messed up hairdresser who's been divorced seven times and complain about their marriage and go, I don't understand why I'm afraid that it's not going to work. Hello. I know people who are crippled by the fear of man. Just deathly afraid of what people think about them. Just, do I look the right? Am I dressed correctly? Do I fit in? And just just so fearful about people's opinions and whether or not they'll be accepted. And yet, the way they remedy that is by posting every which angle on their social media and trying to find the right filters so that they can get enough hearts to affirm we spoon feed on fear and then we wonder why we're afraid. But hey, 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 you people of faith. We are not supposed to live by fear. The Bible says in John chapter 14, Jesus, these are his words, I give you peace that this world cannot offer. And if this world can't offer it, then that means that the world cannot take it away from you. You have the right to guard your heart, the right to guard your peace. You do not have to live by the mandates of fear. You can be a person of faith. I believe by the Holy Spirit today that there are some people even in the room this morning that are dealing with fear and you're gonna take back what is rightfully yours in the spirit today. You're taking back peace, you're being filled with faith and you're gonna face that thing a little bit differently than when you walked in today. But in order to do that, you must know how to fight Fear. You got to know how to overcome this thing. So, so, so what is fear? The, uh, the author Sun Tzu in The uh, Art of War, which I've read cover to cover. He makes a quote. It is a great book. Makes a quote. He says, if I know myself and I know my enemy, then I can face a hundred battles without fear. If I'm aware of how my enemy thinks, how he works, who he is, then I don't have to be afraid when I go to battle. So who is fear? What is fear? The dictionary says this, that fear is an emotional response to a perceived threat. If I think that something is coming against me, if I perceive that, then I respond emotionally. I'm anxious, I'm afraid, I'm worried. That's, that's how it works. It's good. I heard a preacher say one time that fear is borrowing trouble from tomorrow and living in it today. That's good. Uh, I read once uh, another pastor in a book, he said, fear is nothing more than misguided faith. Faith is believing the best about tomorrow, but fear is believing the worst about tomorrow. It's faith, it's just faith in the wrong thing. I think all of those statements are true, but I don't necessarily believe that they define fear. I think that they might be the fruit of fear, but they aren't the root of fear. And if we're going to truly address fear, we can't simply clip the fruit from the branches and then hope that it never grows back. We have to get down into the root system of this thing and pull the tree out of the ground so that we don't have to deal with it any longer. So, so, so what is the root of fear? Well, Paul says to Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7, for God has not given you a spirit of fear but of power, of love, and a sound mind. A spirit of fear. Fear is not an emotional response to a perceived threat. 
It's not borrowing trouble from tomorrow. It's not misapplied faith. According to scripture, fear is a spirit. Two different spirits that are being displayed here in, in, in 2 Timothy. The spirit of God and the spirit of fear. The spirit of God gives you power. It gives you love. It gives you right thinking and a sound mind. The spirit of fear, the antithesis of all those things. If, if God's spirit makes you powerful, then fear makes you weak. If God's spirit goes, I am loved, I know who I am, who he says I am. We were singing it earlier. Then the spirit of fear goes, oh, I blew it again this week and God probably doesn't love me. We begin to doubt God's love. If the spirit of God gives me a sound mind and a rationale and the ability to look at a situation and go, you know what? 95% of the things we fear don't happen anyway. I'm not gonna borrow trouble from tomorrow. I'm gonna face this thing head on. Fear says, yeah, it's, the, the worst is probably gonna happen. You've seen it before. Spirit of God and the spirit of fear. It is imperative that you understand that fear is a spirit. And here's why. If you don't understand that fear is a spirit, you will attempt to fight it by natural means. You will attempt to fight it in the flesh and it will never let up. We'll try to medicate fear away. We'll try to counsel fear away. We'll try any coping mechanism we can find to help ourselves feel centered and peaceful and yoga-like. Like, that's what we'll do. And listen, I'm not knocking any of those things. Prescriptions and counseling and yoga, I guess, they all serve their purpose, all right? They are good for a season. But they are not the source of hope, people. Peace does not come in pill form. Peace does not come in a conversation with a counselor. Peace does not come as you sit cross-legged doing a lotus or whatever else you do in yoga. I've never done it before. No, it comes from Jesus. If we are going to truly fight a spirit, we need to wage war, not in the natural, but in the spirit. The Bible says the weapons of our warfare, they are not carnal. They don't make sense. You can't find them in a yellow pages. You can't find them in a pharmacy. No, they don't make sense, but they are mighty to pull down strongholds. So if we're going to fight a spirit, we got to wage war in the spirit. So for you note takers, let me give you four very simple things, very fast. This is how you wage war in the spirit. You got to pray. You gotta read your Bible, you gotta worship, and you have to memorize some scripture. Period. Those are non-negotiables. You're like, really? Pray, read my Bible. These sounds like very basic things. Yeah, you gotta pray because it says in Philippians 4, pray about everything, and then you won't have to be anxious about anything because a God of peace will guard your mind and he'll guard your heart. Yeah, you have to read the Bible because it says in Ephesians chapter 5 that our minds are washed by the power of God's word. So if our minds are anxious, if our minds are going into tomorrow, then we need to give your brain a bath and we need to do it with scripture. You need to worship. Go back to 2 Chronicles. Look at Acts chapter 16. What happens in the middle of a situation that's insurmountable and the enemy's coming against him? The people of God begin to worship and God does warfare on their behalf. And you need to memorize some scripture. Psalm 119 verses 9 and 11. You need to hide the word of God in your heart so that in the face of a battle, you're not going to sin. You're not going to get taken out. You're going to be able to conquer this thing. You have to do those four things. If you are not doing those four things, it's like leaving a $100 bill on the curb and then wondering why it's gone when you come back to it. Those are basics, okay? You might as well just be watching horror movies and wondering why you're having nightmares. If you do that, knock it off for the love of Jesus. What's the matter with you? I like scary movies. Well, then you're going to love hell. I'm just kidding. Okay. 
too far. That is how we wage war in the spirit. But let me offer you a fifth, which is not so much of a doing as much as it is a knowing. If you're going to fight fear in the spirit, here's what you must understand. You have to know who's with you. You have to know who's got your back. I would assume this morning, your church going folk, that most of you are not scrappy. You don't get into a lot of fights. You know, you're probably not those antagonistic kinds of people. Um, <laughs> oh, you just busted yourself out. Okay, that's good. Um, but uh, if you've ever gotten into a fight before, here's what you, you understand. It's really not about my size or my skill. It's really all about who has my back. Because I can, I can face anybody if someone bigger has my back. <laughs> I can talk all the trash I want if I got some good people who have my back, right? Good advice for life, just throwing that out there. I remember when I was a sophomore in high school and my sister was in fifth grade. Um, she had this kid in her class that would antagonize her every single day. And she'd come home and she'd complain about these things that this kid was saying. They were mean and they were cruel, but none of them really ever crossed the line so much until one day... Uh, me and my buddies were hanging out, eating goldfish and drinking Capri Sun, as you do after high school, uh, at the kitchen table. My sister comes through the front door, and she is in tears, and she's crying. I'm like, what's wrong? And she begins to tell us what this young man said to her at school that day. And at that moment, we snapped. Me and all my friends were like, okay, this, is, this has gone too far. Here's what I want you to do. Tomorrow, I need you to tell that little guy to come meet us after school. Now, granted, I'm a sophomore in high school. This is a fifth-grade kid, but I didn't process that at the time. So I said, here's what I need you to do. I want you to get him off of school grounds, <laughs> take him to the park next door to the school, and then we're going to have a little conversation with your friend. That's right. That's right. So family does. So school ends, bell rings, and uh, me and my friends were like kind of hiding behind this berm. <laughs> and uh, my sister brings this little guy off of school grounds over to the, the park. And granted, the description she gave me, I, I, I thought, you know, overdeveloped fifth grader, hair on his chest, big burly guy. He's like the pudgiest little four foot whatever you've ever seen in your life. Just like, oh, hey guys, you know, walking over to the, to the park. <laughs> but at this point, he was my mortal enemy, okay? He's talking trash to my sister. I'm like, we're going to fix this. So he comes over and we like pop out from behind this berm. We're like, hey! He just starts shaking. <laughs> so I understand you've been saying some things to my sister that no man will ever say to my sister. 10th grade, 5th grade kid. So if I hear you so much as look in her direction again, me and my friends, we're going to come find you. I know where you sleep. I know your address. You know, like, <sighs> have I made myself clear? Yes, sir. Kid takes off. My sister, she walked away from that situation like this. Consequently, so did we. Like, we just defeated the biggest gang in all of town. We're like, yeah, we punked that fifth grade kid. Yeah, that's right. What's up? Y'all don't know me. Like, I'm crazy. I'll cut you. You're like. <laughs> but she was so confident walking away from that situation. Why? Because she knew that someone greater had her back. She knew that, hey, this isn't going to mess with me any longer because I've got a brother. I've got a clan behind me that's going to take this thing out if it ever tries to rear its ugly head again. You have to know who has your back. 
And you've known this since you were a kid. What did you do when you had a nightmare in the middle of the night? You ran into your parents' room because if I know that someone is with me, I don't have to be afraid. When you were camping, which I don't know why you would do that, but you were camping. And in the middle of the night, you had to go to the bathroom and you knew that every serial killer was waiting outside of your tent for you and you had to go to that weird bathroom in the middle of the campsite. What did you do? You grabbed somebody to come along with you. I ain't going alone because if someone's with me, I don't have to be afraid. 365 times in your Bible. Consequently, one for every single day of the year. In command form, God says, do not be afraid. But almost every single one of those commands is followed by a promise. Let me read a few of them to you, and you tell me if you can see the pattern. Genesis 26, 24. The Lord appeared to him on the night of his arrival. I'm the God of your father Abraham. He said, don't be afraid for I am with you and will bless you. Deuteronomy 31. Do not be afraid or discouraged for the Lord will personally go ahead of you. He will be with you. First Chronicles 28. Then David continued, be strong, courageous, do the work. Don't be afraid or discouraged for the Lord my God is with you. Second Chronicles 20. Don't be afraid or discouraged. Go out against him tomorrow for the Lord is with you. Isaiah 41.10. Don't be afraid for I am with you. Jeremiah 46.28. Don't be afraid, Jacob, my servant, for I am with you. Don't be afraid because, because I'm with you. Let me remind you today that you do not serve a God that stands afar off in the middle of whatever you're facing with his arms folded saying, I hope they figure it out. I hope they can work this one out. I'm waiting. They're going to come. No, you serve the God that walks through every valley with you. The God that walks through every sickness with you, every situation with you. He called himself Emmanuel, the God that is by your side. You are not alone in what you're facing. And when you know you're not alone, you can understand God is with me and I'm not going to be taken out by this thing. No, I don't have to be afraid because my God is greater, he's bigger, he's able, he can provide, he can heal. He's more than enough for what I'm facing. He is with me. And when you know that God is with you, you you can expose the spirit of fear for what it truly is. And as it pertains to the message today, as mentioned, it's just... A shadow. It's just a shadow. Among the scriptures in the Bible where God promises that he will be with you is our text today. Our focal point for the next couple of weeks, Psalms chapter 23. It says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even when I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. I will not fear, for you are with me. Even when I walk through the valley of the the shadow of death, it's not really death. It's just a shadow. Things are not really going to happen the way that I think they are. It's just a shadow. You know what a shadow is, right? Shadow is an amplification of an insignificant reality. In other words, it makes something small appear much larger than it really is. Uh, Let me give you an example. I brought with me today uh, Monkey Boy. And uh, Monkey Boy is my daughter's toy. Uh, It's a Cabbage Patch doll that's dressed like a a monkey. 
nothing particularly frightening, well, debatably, about this thing. <laughs> if, uh, if you were walking down the street and you saw this sitting on the curb, chances are you would not shriek and run the other direction. Why? Because it's a Cabbage Patch doll dressed like a monkey. Not very terrifying, right? But, but here's what the enemy likes to do. He likes to take something like this that is small, that is insignificant, that is harmless, and then he likes to turn the lights out in your life. And suddenly, this small, insignificant thing Like, I don't know about you, but if I woke up in the middle of the night and I saw that on my wall, <laughs> I would push my wife towards it and I would run the other direction, okay? Let's just be honest. But this is what the enemy does. He, he takes that diagnosis he takes that downsizing at your company. He takes the wayward son, the wayward daughter. He takes that situation, and he begins to cast a shadow. And suddenly, that becomes all you can focus on, all you can talk about, all you dwell on. It keeps you up till the wee hours of the morning while you worry and you fear about the potential outcome. And the shadows become crippling. There are people in my life who have been staring at shadows for decades and haven't made a single step forward progressing in their faith because they are crippled by fear. Even as I'm saying this, I feel like the Holy Spirit would say to, to some people in the room today, hey, this, this is where your eyes have been set for the last season. As I stated earlier, 95% of the things that humanity fears never actually come to pass. You've played every possible worst case scenario out in your head and because you've done it so often, you have convinced yourself that this is how it's going to end for me. But if in these moments, we will do as David did. If we will simply say, okay, you know what? This is a valley and I'm walking through a dark season right now. But even though I'm walking through a dark season, I don't need to stay in this season. This death, this sickness, this potential outcome, it is not what I think it is. This is just a shifting shadow from the enemy trying to divert my attention from my God and let me look at it instead of look at him as the source. But I remind myself that God is able, that he's with me, that I don't have to be afraid. Suddenly, he begins to turn the lights back on on my situation. Suddenly, I begin to see this thing for what it truly is and I realize, no, 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 I didn't have to be afraid. It was a Cabbage Patch doll in the spirit. It was a baby little demon trying to remind me that my, my situation is what it is, but I say, no, God is greater. He's able. He heals. He saves. He restores. He redeems. It's just a shadow. Let me tell you today, if you are stuck in a chapter where you are staring at a cabbage patch doll in the spirit, snap out of it in Jesus' name. Snap out of it. God has not given you a spirit of fear, but of power, of love, and a sound mind today. Hey, thanks for taking the time to listen to the Father's House podcast. We hope it helped you wherever you're at in your journey. And listen, we want to pray with you if you're going through something right now that's difficult. You can go to our website, tfh.church, 
and click on the prayer and praise link and tell us how to join you in prayer. Until next time, be blessed.